Hello, Praise Chapel. This is Pastor Omar Lopez. This past weekend, I preached on Giants Must Fall, probably one of the greatest underdog stories in history of little David facing this large giant and how he's able to defeat him when nobody believed in him. No one thought he was a warrior. No one thought he was a king. And yet he was able to defeat this giant. And it's the same. Jesus is in you. And people didn't believe in Jesus. People abandoned him. But yet he went to the cross. And he defeated the greatest giant, really, it's sin and addiction. And so I believe through Jesus we can defeat anyone. Well, good afternoon, Praise Chapel Paramount. We did a lot in 2019, and it's just a great, great to look back and see all that God's done in 2019. But I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in 2020. How many are looking forward to that? So we so much appreciate uh, all, the, all the different things that we were able to get done and our conference and so many things that we were able to accomplish here. See what God has blessed us with. It's just a tremendous, tremendous blessing. It's called Giants Must Fall. So turn to your neighbor and say you're in the right place at the right time right now. I honestly believe that this morning. And probably one of the most famous underdog stories in all of history is the story of David and Goliath. And, of course, most of us know a shepherd boy who's facing this giant. The uh, um, Bible says he's about nine, uh, nine feet or a little over nine feet tall. And everyone believes that the shepherd boy could not defeat this giant, that this Giant is undefeatable, so to speak. He can't be beat, and no one can beat them. And, of course, uh, last night we got to see the great fall of the Patriots, so that was so great. And uh, giants must fall. Anyway, I thought I'd throw that in. Sorry, Patriot friends. I don't care. But anyway, um, so what is an underdog? An underdog is a person or a group, again, or a team that people don't believe are going to win or really expect to lose. And unless you're a very fortunate person, a very uh, gifted person, uh, all of us have experienced being an underdog at one point. And maybe you've been bypassed in your classroom or maybe even bypassed at your job. Or maybe if you remember when they were picking teams, I know how it feels that you're the last one to get picked or or they just reluctantly say, okay, come on, my team, you know, and, and I, I've been in those situations, to be honest with you. All of us have been, at some point, you've been the underdog, and uh, maybe, you know, you've been one of those persons that just, uh, you fall in love with the wrong people. You're the underdog, but God's going to make you an overdog. Is that all right? And so all of us have been, at some point, uh, an underdog, and that's probably why some of the most popular movies and the last few decades have been about, there have been underdog stories, and people really like them. And, of course, the classic one, uh, I believe, was in the 80s or uh, early 80s was, how many remember the series Rocky? Remember Rocky? Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion. Remember him? And he, he boxes, uh, what's his name, Apollo Creed, and he practices on the, on the ribs and all that. We know the story. Adrian, remember all that? Adrian. Adrian. Anyway, then of course, then of course the the other one that some of you may remember, you may not, the Karate Kid. Remember, and uh, he he's he's been bullied by a gang, and he finally gets into uh, training. And of course, uh, 
the, the, the Chinese man that trains him, what's his name, Mr. Mr. Yeah, well, yeah, see, you guys know. Wax on, wax off, remember that? And finally he defeats that guy. And, of course, the entire Star Wars saga, most of us are familiar, it's what, kind of a ragtag group fighting against the evil empire, the Patriots, the evil empire, no, Dark Ray. Dark Vader, and of course, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we know the story. You know, Vader says, uh, I am your father. No! You know, and all that. Anyway, so we know the story. And so let me, let me move on to the real Bible story, though, of David and Goliath. And even before I go there, I kind of want to set the, the whole thing about this story and how it leads up to a final battle between David and Goliath and what's going on in the children of Israel or the nation of Israel, which is God's people, uh, because the people of Israel have been guided by God, protected by God, and yet over and over they seem to fall out of faith in God and trust in God, and so many things happen. And so here's the great example. Again, the people of God lose their faith and their trust in God, and they begin to want a king. They want a king to guide them and to protect them, and, uh, and they want to be like the other nation. They see the other nations have a king, so they want a king, and they want to copy what everybody else is doing. But really, God's been their king the whole time, but they always seem to fall away from that. And so we pick up the story here out of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8, verse uh, number 5, and it says this. Uh, they come to Samuel, and they say, Give us a king to rule over us like all the other nations. Again, they want to be like everybody else. When the elders said this, Samuel was not pleased. So the prophet of God knew that this was not a good request. And so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told Samuel, listen to whatever the people say to you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king. They are doing as they have always done. When I took them out of Egypt, they left me, and they served other gods, they are doing the same to you. Now listen to the people, but warn them what the king who rules over them will do. So let's pray before I dive into this message. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We know that the word of God is relevant in 2020. It applies to every part of our lives today. I pray wherever people find themselves in their state of mind and wherever they're at right now in their life, that the word of God would come alive, that, God, you would quicken things to their heart. And, Father, that you'll minister to them wherever they're at, whatever giant they're fighting, whatever battles they're struggling with today. I pray today that the word today would just bring revelation to their heart. Father, I pray that you would anoint every word that I speak today, that you would, uh, Father, anoint the word and the people would hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And the people said... Amen. So, again, I just want to remind you, Israel had been led by a bunch of judges, and now they're looking for a king to rule over them. And basically, God is saying, I thought I was your king, but you've rejected me as your king. And so they're saying, well, we want a king that we could touch. We want a king that we could see. We want a king that could lead us into battle. And I, I'm just here to say this to you. Sometimes God will give you what you want, even though it's not what you need. Sometimes God will say, okay, if you ask for it, I'll let you have it. Because sometimes you think you know what you want, 
until you get what you want, and then you discover you don't want it. How many know what I'm talking about? You thought you wanted this thing. You thought you wanted this relationship. You thought you wanted this job. You thought you wanted this thing in your life. And then once you got it, you discovered, I don't want this no more. And sometimes God will give you what you ask, even though you don't need it, and even though it's not something he wants for your life, he'll give it to you to really help you and to teach you a lesson, so to speak. In other words, when God can't teach us through instruction, he has to teach us through experience. I'm the kind of guy, just, just tell me. I don't have to, I don't need the experience. Just tell me. Some of you, you, you're the opposite. I need to go through it. You're a fool. You want to go through it all. Rather than, why don't you just listen to the instruction? Why don't you just listen to God's instruction? So God was always giving people instructions in the word of God. If you look at the people of Israel over and over, he would give them instruction, but they would not learn through his instruction. They would have to go through the experience, and then they would learn the lesson. So he tells them that a king, if I give you a king, he's going to oppress you. If you read that whole chapter, if, you give, if I give you a king, he's going to tax you. If I give you a king, he's going to rule over you in a hard way. But either way, they still wanted this king. So Samuel went about looking to anoint the king. He went about looking for someone in Israel that would be the person that could qualify as the king. And they found a man by the name of Saul. Now, the unique thing about Saul is he was taller than everybody else. The Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was charismatic. He was good looking. He was a warrior. He was not considered an underdog. We would probably call him a top dog. You know, he was uh, one of those guys that uh, uh, was, uh, uh, you know, selected to, to be, uh, have a college uh, scholarship to a, a football uh, uh, program. He's probably one of those types of guys. And no one was surprised when Saul was chosen to be the king. In fact, the Bible says he started out pretty good and seemed, things seemed to be going in the right direction. But like most kings, he got corrupted in his heart. He began to be selfish and proud and self-willed. And rather than serving the people, he began to serve himself and he began to abuse the people. He began to bend the law so that it would apply to him. And basically, God allowed the people of God to learn what it was to have a king, and they had to experience that king. And finally, God said, okay, I need to give you a new person that's after my heart. And he tells Samuel, I've rejected Saul as king. I need you to go to the house of Jesse and find one of the young men, one of the sons of Jesse, and he's going to be the new king. So here's what happens. The Bible says that the prophet of God goes over to the house of Jesse and Jesse has several sons, and he knocks on the door of, of, of Jesse, and he says, one of your sons is going to be the king. Now, you can imagine probably if you are parents, and man, our son's going to be the king. Woo, we're going to be good, man. Which one is it going to be? And you start already kind of thinking which one is going to be. I'm sure a lot of us, you look at the personalities of your kid and you go, oh, I think it's that one right there. He walks around like a king. He talks like a king. He's probably going to be, oh, that, that guy, oh, no, he's, he's no king, believe me. He's a follower, not a leader. You know what I'm talking about? You probably were thinking that. So this is exactly what's happening with Jesse. And Jesse thinks, man, it has to be Eliab. 
So he brings out Eliab, and Eliab, the Bible says, is tall, good-looking. He has this commanding presence. You know, he has blue eyes. He kind of looked like that guy Thor. Uh, uh, what's his name? Chris Hemsworth, whatever. I'm not going to show you a picture of him and, and all of that. I'm pretty close to him anyway. But it, it looks, he's this tall, you know, got the whole physique down. You know what I'm saying? And the Bible says in 1, 16, verse, 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, and when he came, Samuel looked at Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, oh, man, this has got to be the king right here. But verse 7, look at what it said. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Reject. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord, what? Looks on the heart. So when I think of this story, or when I think about what's being said here, Samuel should have known better. I mean, Samuel already picked that other guy saw because he was tall and all that. Now he's going right back to the same old method of doing things. And God is telling him, look it, just because he looks kingly doesn't mean he's the next king. See, when God looks for leaders, he doesn't look at the outside. Because a lot of people value what's on the outside, and God, God said the value on the outside doesn't matter. We look at the pretty face. Many times when we look at people, we look at the pretty face. We look at, oh, man, they're a sharp dresser. Oh, man, look at impressive resume. Oh, look at that body. They look great. And God says, no, 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 no. I look at right here. This is what I look at. See, God doesn't look at the beauty on the outside. He looks at the beauty on the inside. He wants to look at your heart. See, a lot of us this morning, we take a lot of time working on the outside. How long did it take you to get here, take you to get ready before you got here, right? You gotta, you gotta, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Take a shower. Please do all that for us, for the rest of us here, for the sake of the body. Amen. Anyway, uh, but, but the reality is many times, how, do we ever work on the inside? Do we say, God, you know, help me to be more humble. Help me to be more compassionate. Help me to be more forgiving. So Samuel should have known better, but yet even a prophet can forget the values of what God is saying. And God says, I've not chosen him. I've rejected him. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse, are there any other sons that you have? And so Jesse passes all of his sons, verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these either. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all these, are all your sons here? In other words, are there some sons that maybe you've forgotten about? You remember some of you were in the world, man. You might have forgotten. But anyway, are there any more sons out there that you don't know about? You know, and so I'm sure Samuel or Jesse's thinking, well, maybe there is. And he said, well, yeah, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. In other words, yeah, I do got one, but come on, it's not him. He's a runt, man. Come on, he's, he's a runt. He's no good. You don't want him. Believe me, you don't want that guy. And Samuel said to him, sin for him, sin and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. In other words, I think Samuel got a little irritated and said, wait a minute, I told you to bring all your son, didn't I? So now that he's not around, we're all going to remain standing till he comes. You better send somebody to run across that field as quick as you can. So I'm sure somebody took off and came back, and finally they 
they bring him in, and here's this uh, young kid uh, by the name of David. And the Bible says he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. Now what that word ruddy means is many scholars believe means redheaded and freckled and little cherry cheeks, you know, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. So he basically had this baby face, you know, Justin Bieber, that kind of thing. And the, hey, Justin Bieber walks in there. And we're not here to sing, buddy. We're here to, you know, anyway, we're here for the next king. Anyway, so he, he, the Bible says that the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. And from that day on, I love what it says, uh, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. So David's strength was not uh, in his own uh, awareness or in his own awesomeness, but the strength of David came from the spirit of God. And so David, the reason why God could use him is he was not full of himself. How many people there are full of himself? But he was filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost. So the Bible says the Spirit of God rushed on him, and now he became the anointed king, which brings us now to the famous story that all of us are familiar with. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, it le- or 17, it leads to that confrontation now where David is facing Goliath. And all of us know this story. We've read it. But I want to bring out some, some, some understanding of this story that maybe you've not really, really grasped. And a lot of times we read it and we say, oh, I know this story, all this. But I think there's more to this story than meets the eye. So 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their armies for, for, for battle. Now, real quick, the Philistines are the bad guy. They're the dark side, okay? They, they're the dark. They're the patriots, okay? They're, they're the dark side. So those are those are the bad guys, okay? The evil empire of the Old Testament. So these guys right here, they're the bad guys, and they've been in a battle with with Israel. Israel went into Canaan, but never Canaan never took care of them. And so now the Philistines are the strongest, most sophisticated, advanced people of that time. Not only are they very mad. Uh, 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 very smart, but technology, they, they learned how to work with metal. They, it was the Iron Age, and these guys now, they've got uh, chariots made of metal. they got metal swords. they got metal knives. they got all these different things they, they've worked. They're, they're more superior. And the Israelites, you know, they've got rocks. they got, you know, wooden spears. they got, uh, you know, some slingshots, you know. And, and, and so the, it's very intimidating when you face these Philistines that are more advanced than you are. And verse number three, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there was the valley between them. Many people say it's, about, it's like a mile uh, uh, between them and so there's this battle and they're ready to go. And there came out from the camp of the Philistine a champion named Goliath of Goth whose height was six cubics and a span, which if you interpret it in today's dimensions, it would be nine foot, six inches tall. So you ever seen the rim of a basketball court? That's 10 feet, six inches. That guy basically basically just cleared. under. That's how tall this guy was. He was tall. And, and, and many estimate, how many, you guys remember Shaquille O'Neal? He was like seven foot, seven foot one. He wore like a, a 22 foot uh, shoe. 
They said if you did the algebra, again, I, I don't know algebra, but if you did the algebra, this nine foot, he'd probably have like a 30 foot shoe. I mean, that's pretty big, huh? I mean, that's bigger than my arm, I think. And so uh, th this, is guy, this guy's walking around, and, and he's taunting the people of God. And, and in verse number five, uh, he, Goliath, had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Now, it doesn't mean he had a bunch of postcards on him. What it means is that he had a shirt that was made of wire mesh. And uh, the Bible says, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 125 pounds. Talk about a bulletproof vest, right? I mean, 125 pounds. Verse 6, and he had bronze armor on his legs and javelin of bronze uh, uh, slung between his shoulders. Again, they're talking about a lot of metal. They're talking about brand because these guys specialized in it, so they were more superior. In other words, man, uh, they were intimidating. They had the metal on. I mean, it was, man, it was tough. And then verse 7, the shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, just the shaft of that spear. They said even the tip of it weighed like 17 pounds or 15 pounds. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks, the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose the man for yourselves and let him come down to me. In other words, let him come fight me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and you'll serve us. This is what they call representative warfare. In other words, you put your best man up, he represents your gang, he represents your group, and said, okay, our best guy against your best guy, and whoever wins uh, will be your servants. If you win, uh, you, uh, if we win, you'll be our servants. So you had to send your best guy out. The problem was nobody wanted to go out from Israel. Now, I would think Saul, who was the king at that time, who's taller than everybody, but, you know, he's in his tent, you know, uh, whatever he was eating, he was in there eating uh, Cheerios or something. And so I'm thinking to myself, these guys are all scared. And then it says, every morning, verse 16, every morning and evening, Goliath, for 40 days and 40 nights, is talking trash to the people of Israel. Possibly add a little jingle that went like, you know, Israel for breakfast, Israel for lunch, Israel for dinner, crunch, 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 crunch. Mm -mm, so good, right? <laughs> Mm -mm, so good. They probably all, you know, the Philistine, ooh, ooh, so good. You know, so I don't know. I don't know how it worked out. But however it was, they were there, and, they, you know, they're, they're intimidated. They're afraid. And, and verse number 10, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In other words, send out somebody. He's calling you out. He's going to your house. He's calling you out. And verse 11, when Saul... And all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. I mean, everybody's afraid. Everybody's intimidated. In fact, if you read the story, they're hiding in their cave. Nobody wants to come out. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, uh, David, little David's back with his, ha uh, with his dad. And his dad tells David, you know what, David, I need you to go see your brothers I want you to go over and give them some uh, food here. And David rose early in the morning, and he left his sheep with the keeper. In other words, he, 
He told David, I want you to take these cheese and crackers. Really, it's the cheese and bread. Yeah, go take some cheese. So David got the little Lunchables, you know, getting ready for his brother. They take him over there. And uh, the Bible says he left his sheep with the sheep keeper. Uh, you got to leave them with somebody to take care of your sheep. And he left them there. And basically, it's like a modern-day donut run. Go ahead and take some donuts to your brother and find out what's going on and, and uh, let me know how the battle goes. And so his, his brothers are out there and they're fighting this battle. While they, well, actually, they're not fighting. They're probably just shouting words like Goliath, your mama too, and all this stuff. And, you know, your mama's the Goliath, the whole thing. And they're going back and forth, but nobody's doing any fighting. You ever been with people like that? They talk a lot of smack, but they don't fight. Well, I'll get you. Hold me back. Hold me back. I'm going to get you. Come on. Let them go. Let them go. Oh, you're lucky they're holding on to me, you know. You know how that goes. Anyway, I don't know how I got into Verse 23. And, and so as, as David talked with them, behold, as David got there, he gave them their little cheese and crackers and their little orange juice and everything. As there, he gave it to them. He's hearing what's going on. And David talked with them. Behold, the champion of the Philistine of God, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistine and spoke the same word as before, but this time David heard him. Verse 32, and David said to Saul, jump down to verse, a few verses, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to him, kind of in a condescending way, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. Look at little Justin Bieber. You're just a little young. Come on. Go back to go back and sing it in the concert or something. He's been, he's been a man of war from his youth. In other words, this guy has been fighting and killing people before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye. He's got socks that are older than you. He's got this guy's got underwear older than you. I mean, this guy been fighting his battle. I don't know why I said that. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to, I'm having too much fun. Somebody stop me. Get me off the stage. But David, get the music up here. I don't know what I'm doing here. But David said to Saul, it's the new year, guy. But David said to Saul, it gets better, believe me, okay? But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. Yeah, that was this morning, buddy. Did you forget that? And when they came, when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. I guess bears back there had beards. And I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Amen. I kind of think really Saul was kind of saying, good luck being dead, buddy. Amen. Good luck with that. Go ahead. The Lord be with you. Anyway, uh, verse 42, and when the Philistine looked, and he saw David. I mean, here's Goliath, this big dude. When he looked, he, 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 he disdained him, for he was but a youth. I mean, he was, you know, little ruddy, floppy hair, you know, I don't know, a little haircut, handsome, you know, all this. And the Philistines said to David, am I a dog 
that you come to me with little Justin Bieber, who this is not a singing contest. You brought him out here. And verse 44, and the Philistines said to David, come to me. Come. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, here's your problem, dude. This is it right here. You come to me with a sword with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defile. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I mean, not bad for a novice talking trash. I mean, he used to not talking a lot of trash. Now he's talking trash. Hey, I'm cutting off your head today. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth, audience number one, may know that there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly, in other words, this church, this group of people, may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or spear, for the battle belongs to the Lord, and he will give you into my hand. I love this story. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. So you think it's going to be hand-to-hand combat. But I love David, man. He had, the, he had an aerial strategy. He's coming like, oh, yeah, let's go. He had no intention of having hand-to-hand combat. The Bible says this. Look at what it says. He reached into his bag. He took out a stone, and as he running, he struck the Philistine in the forehead and the stone sunk inside. But the last thing he ever thought about came into his mind. Amen. This little stone. And the Bible says he fell forward, face forward down. And David ran and stood over the Philistine like that. I hope it doesn't tip over. I better be careful here. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking this too far. How about just like this? Took his sword. <laughs> next, next thing I... Next thing I know, the whole thing's going to go over. Water's all over the place. Uh, stop me, okay? And he, and, he drew, and, he, and he drew it out of his sheath. In other words, David didn't even have a sword, didn't have nothing metal. And he killed him, cut his head off. He lifted up his head. Well, I'm just kind of imagining. Lifted up his head. Yeah, look at this, you know. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. And they pursued the foolish Philistine and plundered their camp because God is the bigger giant that's inside of you today. I'm having way too much fun this morning. But I want you to know that God wants you to be the giant slayer. See, here's the question this morning that most of us, when we read this story, what is the point of this story? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know, we've heard that. Or, you know, or, or that, you know, there's hope for the underdog. Or, you know, what is the journey? Don't stop believing. You know that feeling, you know, hold on to that feeling, whatever it is. No, I don't think it's any of those things. I think when you really look at it, it's really, are you going to trust God? That whatever you're facing in life, are you willing to trust God? But I even think it goes deeper than that. The story of David is not trying to be like David. A lot of us just say, man, I want to be like David. I want to be just like David. I want to be the underdog. I'm facing Goliath. And, but really, I don't believe it's that either. I believe David in the story is not David, but David in the story is Jesus. And Jesus is saying, 
you could be like me. So you say, how is it this, this could even be Jesus? How are you comparing David to Jesus? And I want to give you an example of why I believe it is Jesus. Jesus was born in a barn. He was born in a manger. He was the underdog. Jesus was like, a, uh, he, he was, he, the Bible says he's the great shepherd. Jesus was just a carpenter. Remember that? He was just a nobody in the town. And David was the same way. And I believe Jesus went out to represent you and I as David went alone by himself. Remember, David went out to that battle by himself. Nobody went with him. In fact, everybody was scared. Everybody was a coward. When Jesus dragged that cross to Mount Golgotha there, the, the, the mountain to be crucified, everybody was afraid. All his disciples had forsaken him. And he won the battle over sin on the cross. The biggest giant that Jesus defeated was sin and the devil. Can you say amen? See, Jesus is saying today that he wants to be the giant in your life. That you can have the giant living inside of you. Can you say amen? Because Jesus took out the real giant of sin, you can face the lesser giants in your life. See, a lot of things in our lives today, we say, man, they're so big, they're so gigantic. Can I tell you, Jesus can take care of anything today. You say, man, my marriage problem is like a giant. Jesus can heal your marriage. My addiction problem is so tough, Jesus can break that addiction. Man, my, my, my hurt, uh, my, my betrayal, Jesus can give you grace to forgive and overcome all the hurt that's happened in your life. See, I'm here to tell you that Jesus can defeat anybody in your life today and, or anything. I like what the book of Psalms says. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I don't have any need. He meets every need. He makes me lie down and grieve pastors. The Bible says he makes me lie down. In other words, he knows where I can lie down. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table, the Bible says, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. That's the king. That's the giant that I serve today. Hallelujah. That in the middle of the enemy, God, in the presence of the enemy, in the middle of the storm, I'm eating a five-course meal. When the enemy's going around, I say, I ain't got time for you. I got to eat dinner right now. And when he come out, I got to eat breakfast. I got to eat lunch, man. I'm not worried about you. God put me a table right in the middle of my enemy. They're walking around all mad, talking smack. I talk, you know, let them go. Let them go. God take care of them. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you that there are many things in our lives today that we think, man, they're hard. They're, they're difficult. Uh, man, we're, we're living for the wrong approval. We're looking for the approval of others. All we need is God's approval. I said all we need is God's approval. See, I'm here to tell you today, sometimes we just need this courage. Say courage feel like the wither of all courage, you know, and we need that courage. I got to stop being funny again. Here I am again. But I'm, I'm, being, I'm being honest. Sometimes, 
you know, the enemy will lie to you and say, well, it's not that good. Sometimes, you know, can I just be honest with you, other pastor? There are good sermon listeners and bad sermon listeners. And sometimes the enemy says, see, they're not listening to you. That guy right there, he's bored. Look, at he's looking at Instagram. He doesn't care about your thing. Really, he's talking, you know, he's this thing. He's looking for stuff to do. He's gone five times to go to the restroom. He's not even going to the restroom. He's just getting up and, and looking at the wall and comes back in. So all these different things. There's good listeners. And then you got the guy that, hey, man, yes, oh, yeah, oh, that's good. Oh, got it, yeah. <laughs> then the people are completely disengaged. You know, they have a sourpuss look. You know, they're just like. And so the devil will tell me, see, they're not. So go ahead with your board self. God's saying, I'm proud of you, son. You're doing a good job. So I got to go by that. I can't wait for the approval of people. I need God's approval. He's my representative. Can you say amen? So here's what I want to say to you. Many times in your downtime, you think it's a waste of time. And I'm here to tell you, in your downtime, it's development time. God's developing you. Even some, sometimes some of the worst things that are going on in your life, you say, man, this is terrible. I what good could come out of it? I can tell you, God can shape and mold you even in some of the worst times of your life. Even in the time where you say, man, it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. It doesn't seem like anybody notices me. I, I, I'm thinking about David when he's taking care of his sheep. He's in obscurity. No one, he's not famous. He's a nobody. His dad Basically, didn't even consider him or bring him in. Could you imagine your own family doesn't even see the king in you? Your own family doesn't see the warrior in you. They don't see your potential. And when the prophet comes to anoint the king, they don't even call you to, to, the, to the gathering. And so David's out there. Nobody knows him. He's not famous. But I believe during that time, while he's taking care of the sheep. I mean, how complicated is it to take care of sheep? And I'm not saying it's, it's an easy job, but what I'm saying is there's probably a lot of downtime. You know what I mean? It's like they're sleeping, they're gazing over there. Man, what can I do? And they're probably asking David, David, what do you do while you take care of the sheep? He goes, I don't know. You know, I, I, start, I started getting good with a slingshot. And I started setting up some Coke bottles from a distance. And, man, I'm hitting them. And I started hitting some of the sheep. Don't tell my dad. I started hitting some of them. And I've gotten pretty good with this slingshot. I go, wow. He goes, man, that's good. He goes, what else you do? You know, I just start taking up the harp. Man, I start playing this harp, and, and, and I'm starting to write some songs. You know, I'm not a really good songwriter, but I'm starting to write some songs. And who knows, the book of Psalms got written. And they're all worship songs that we sing today. Could it have been that David wrote those songs during that downtime, but it was development time? And really, God was building the giant in him. Could it be that God's trying to build the giant in you right now? Whatever you're going through right now, Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. That's what the Bible says. There is no devil you can't defeat when the giant Jesus is in your life today. There is no addiction that can't be broken when the giant Jesus is in your life. See, today, I want to encourage you today. today be a giant flame. Don't be flayed by the giant. You flame the giant. Hey, thanks Do for listening Jesus to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.